Well, Oregon has brought in 15 transfers in this 2023 recruiting cycle, and most are going to see the field in a meaningful way this year. But who are the biggest impact ones? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks as this season approaches. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you listen to or watch the show. I appreciate all of you out there equally, no matter how you consume the show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more right now, New customers can bet $5, that's it, and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Transfers, quarterbacks, and an offseason question all coming up today. I've still got questions in the mailbag that many of you have sent me over the past uh, several weeks. I have not forgotten about you. I'm trying to get them all done this week before we hit Portland State because I know you'll have plenty of questions about that. But Oregon's brought in a healthy portal class in 2023. And I think when you talk about recruiting, you talk about the high school players, right? And where they rank. When you talk about class rankings, like Oregon's 2024 class ranking is top 10, 15 nationally, depending on where you look in that sort of range. It's number 12 on 24-7 sports. But the portal class is arguably more important on a year-to-year basis because those guys are often, not always, ready to contribute right away. So, We are going through all 15 of Oregon's transfers, and I am ranking in order who I think makes the biggest impact on the field in 2023, factoring in their talent, their position, and the position players that are around them, meaning who are they sharing the field with, and does that take touches and production away from them, or does it enhance their ability to produce? This all stems from a question from Nathan, by the way. Mailbag is always open. YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. Nathan, all right, here's one. How do we rank the 2023 transfers as impact guys? I've got Cornelius Birch, Tez, Evan Williams, Jacobs, Taishim, Strother, Kyrie, Nico Reed, Soli, Casey Kelly. So that is his particular ranking. I'm going to go through and I will start with number one because... That's what we care about the most. Who's the most impactful transfer? The answer is Jordan Birch. The answer is Jordan Birch because his physical traits are not like any we've seen in quite a while. Now, he didn't maximize them the way South Carolina was hoping that he was able to coming out of high school over there with the Gamecocks. We are hoping he's able to do that with the Ducks, much like Bo Nix, by the way, who was a five-star quarterback recruit, graded as a three-star transfer on 24-7 sports because of how he played at Auburn. And guess what? He played like a five-star last year. That's what we would love for Jordan Birch to be. I have him as number one because Oregon's pressure rate was historically low and really bad last year. And he is coming into a position group that does have a good amount of depth. But if I told you right now, or I asked this question, who leads Oregon in sacks in 2023? I can give you five answers. I'm not joking. I could give you five answers that are actually legitimate. I think the answer is going to end up being Jordan Birch. His body type is kind of a Eric Armstead, maybe closer to DeForest Buckner, who can play both inside and outside. That's the sort of player that he's capable of being. That's who we need him to be. And he's going to see the field a lot 
He will be one of the starters on the defensive line. He should be one of the best players we've got there. I've got Jordan Birch number one. Number two, Evan Williams. This is the Fresno State transfer at safety coming into a position group that really didn't do a lot of great things last year. Like Brian Addison had some moments, but outside of that, yeah, we didn't get a lot out of the safeties. They didn't grade well in coverage on PFF, didn't make a lot of impact plays. There were a couple, but overall, pass defense wasn't good, and it felt like when you're talking about defending the pass, Oregon's safeties did, they created more moments that were that were memorable in a bad way than in a good way. So I think Williams comes in preseason all-conference second team, by the way, because Pac-12 schools have gone up against him in the past from his time at Fresno State. They play Pac schools every year. So I think that that's telling as to what his potential is. But he comes in again at a group that is going to give him the opportunity to play. And he has, I think, the talent to match it. So I'll go Evan Williams, number two. Number three, Johnny Cornelius. I think this is Oregon's starting right tackle. I think Connerly is at left. Not much more to say there. Cornelius was a highly sought-after transfer target from Rhode Island. Uh, A lot of schools were after him. Oregon landed him. I think that's your starting right tackle. Number four, Justin Jacobs. We're replacing Noah Sewell, who went off to the NFL, drafted by the Bears, might be their starting linebacker this year, or one of them. Jacobs comes in from Iowa, and we're looking for better production out of the linebacking unit overall. And we are looking for a go-to number one guy. And Jacobs was, I think, brought in to be that. Now, he has injury concerns. He only played a couple games last year because he got hurt. And if he's able to stay healthy, I think his physical traits make him a really intriguing player. But that's an if. However, again, talent and opportunity. There are going to be reps available for him at the linebacker spot. So I'll go Jacobs number four. Number five, Tysheem Johnson. Bennett Williams was kind of our go-to star safety or one of them a year ago, nickel safety, star safety, whatever you want to call him. I think he's going to be starting here. I don't think he's a guy that is going to come in and maybe have as big of an impact as as Evan Williams. I, I think Evan's going to be on the field more. I think Taishim, the reason I have him lower, though I love his talent, I, I, think, he's, I think he's a guy that is more... He's at a spot that is going to get a little bit more rotation, right? Because, you know, depending on what sub package we're going with defensively, it might put three corners on the field with two safeties. I don't know that Taishim cracks the top two safeties necessarily. I think it could be Evan Williams and Brian Addison. I think it could be Taishim and Brian Addison. It could be Taishim and Evan Williams. It could be Taishim and Steve Stevens for all we know. Like, we're just going to have to wait and see. But... Last year, there were several times where Oregon ran a nickel package where instead of having a third safety, Bennett Williams on the field or Jamal Hill, they went with a third corner like a Dante Manning or a Jaleel Florence to supplement Christian Gonzalez and Triquist Bridges. So I, I think that's why I've got Taishim there at uh, number five. Number six, Kyrie Jackson. I suspect he will be Oregon's starting cornerback either on the boundary or field side. We'll just have to see. But Again, that's the sort of player that I think you bring in to be a starter, right? Anybody coming from Alabama, you're probably bringing them in to to be a starter and a major contributor there. I think there will be a lot of rotation at the cornerback position this year. I think Oregon's got a lot of depth, and we have to identify who's got the high-end talent. Hopefully, Kyrie Jackson will have that. Number seven. Remember, there are 15 of these transfers. Number seven, speaking of Alabama, Treshawn Holden. I think he is one of your regular rotation players at on the offensive side. I think a lot of people would have Tez Johnson here 
The reason that I'm going with Treshawn Holden one slot above Tez Johnson is I don't know that Tez can be on the field at, in a two-receiver set. He, he could be, but I don't know that they can do that as often as you can with a Treshawn Holden because then if Tez is on the field as one of your two receivers, there's a high chance that you're not running the football because Tez is a really, really little guy. I think he's more, you know, what Chris Hudson was last year. And Hudson had moments where he was one of two receivers on the field. But I think right now, if you told me the Ducks come out, 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, and two receivers, those two receivers would be Troy Franklin and Treshawn Holden. So I think he gets a little bit more run and a few more snaps over the course of the season than Tez Johnson, who I have at, at number eight, and then Gary Bryan at number nine. So Bryant comes over from USC, was a really talented recruit, had some really, really good moments with the Trojans. I don't think he's as high on the depth chart as Holden or Johnson, who they brought in first. I think they brought in Bryant kind of as a depth piece there, but I think he can be a a really, really good one. So that gets us to nine. That means there are six left. Well, I'm not going to just forget about the other six now. I'm not going to just stop at nine. What sort of ridiculousness would that be? You could be dealing with ridiculousness in your life, though, and you should give therapy some thought to that. And if you're thinking of doing so, give BetterHelp a try. Sometimes in life, we're faced with tough choices, whether that's professionally, personally, or who to play as the starting cornerback on the boundary and field side going into 2023. All of these things are tough choices, right? And we all deal with them. Well, Dan Lanning maybe deals with those a little bit more than, uh, than we do on the football side of things. But Whether you're dealing with decisions around your career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want, or helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. It's entirely online, just like this podcast, designated to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, just like this podcast. Amazing. So you like this podcast, you like BetterHelp. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash lockedoncollege today. Get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash college. Therapy, helpful. Second segment sips, helpful. Ergo, transitive property. Second segment sips, therapy. Eh, kind of. Okay, anyway, let's keep going down the list here. Number 10, I've got Nico Reed, who has reportedly been getting run at, at the nickel corner slot. I don't think he's going to play a huge role. He was not one of the early transfers. He's actually one of the later transfers. Might have been the latest transfer that Oregon brought in. It was either him or Gary Bryant. I forget the order, but I'm pretty sure it was Nico Reed. A guy who was playing a pretty solid amount over at Colorado. But last time we brought in a defensive back from Colorado, it went really well. Gonzo was more highly sought after than than Reed was. So I have Reed lower on this list. You can definitely assume by that because I am telling you here, I don't think he will play as much as an Evan Williams or Justin Jacobs or Kyrie Jackson or Tysheem Johnson defensively. I do, however, expect him to see the field every now and then as they try to figure out who they're trying to you know, fit in where at the nickel slot and the packages and everything like that. Oregon's got a lot of options in the defensive backfield this year. Number 11, Junior Angolau. I think this is one of Oregon's starting guards going into this year. However, he's coming off an injury. So I'm not sure if he'll play, you know, full 12 games. 
and you see offensive linemen get hurt, it's why you need to go eight to eight to nine or even ten deep, as Oregon has in the last couple of seasons when they've had really good offensive lines. I think that Junior Angelau is probably the most talented and experienced transfer guard that they brought in. But I don't know if he'll be able to hold up and play 12 games. I hope so. But among my starting offensive line projections, which will come uh, later this week, leading up to the Portland State game, Angelau is going to be in there. Uh, I, I just think that's a position that you can rotate a lot. I don't know how firm a grasp he can have on that starting job because there's so many other talented guards on this Oregon roster, whether you're talking about uh, you know, veteran returners like Stephen Jones or Marcus Harper or up-and-comers like Davey Uli. I, I think that's a tough spot to hold down, and you have to perform at a high level or somebody else could take your spot. So I have Angle out at 11. I have Connor Sully, uh, the linebacker from Arizona State, who is kind of – he's kind of doing a Jeff Bossa where he was a hybrid linebacker safety sort of guy who's bulked up and is now going to play linebacker. I don't think he's one of the high rotation backers on on the defensive side, though I suspect he will get in there. But I, I, I talked about the linebackers last week. I think your top four, Justin Jacobs and, and Jeff Bossa. And then I think Jamal Hill is a guy who's played a lot of football for the Ducks, has been pretty darn good for the most part. He's playing a new position, but I think he and Devin Jackson are the most physically gifted among the second tier of backers after Jacobs and Bossa. So that's why I have Sully down there at, uh, at 12. 13, I've got Casey Kelly, the tight end from Ole Miss. I, I think that Kelly is going to play, but he'll be the number three tight end. And I think Ludwig will probably be number four. That's why I have him at 14 uh, for most impactful transfers. And then number 15, I have Nishad Strother. Just like I was talking about with the depth at the guard position, it's going to be tough to crack that rotation. There are a lot of bodies in there. And Strother also, uh, Mike Cavanaugh, the assistant O-line coach, posted the other day that he, uh, or it was a picture, and, and Strother was wearing a sling on his arm. So we might not see him for a little while. And then you give guys an opportunity to establish the establish the depth chart ahead of you. So I, I think that's why he's the least impactful. Again, I'm not going to be surprised if we see him on the field this year. We might need him in key spots this year. But compared to the other transfers, I don't think he's as impactful. So just to recap here, did 15 players in about 15 minutes. That's not bad. Most impactful transfers for the Ducks, per my own projections, these are just my thoughts. That's how a lot of the show works, frankly. It's just kind of my thoughts. But And I thank you for tuning into that. Jordan Birch, number one, the defensive end from South Carolina. Evan Williams, two, the free safety from Fresno State. Johnny Cornelius, three. The offensive tackle from Rhode Island, Justin Jacobs, four, linebacker from Iowa, Tysheem Johnson, five, the safety from Ole Miss, Kyrie Jackson, six, the corner from Alabama, seven, Treshawn Holden, the, the wide receiver from Alabama, eight, Tez Johnson, the wide receiver from Troy, nine, Gary Bryant, the receiver from USC, 10, Nico Reed, the DB from Colorado, 11, Junior Angelau, the offensive lineman from Texas, 12, Connor Soley, the linebacker from Arizona State, 13, Casey Kelly, the tight end from Ole Miss, 14, Caden Ludwig, the tight end from Colorado and Clackamas High School before that, and 15, Nishad Strother, the offensive lineman from East Carolina. So if you have any disagreements, by all means, at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks or YouTube comments, always a way to get a hold of me. Otson Zone did that. And he said, hey, Spencer, tuning in all the way from Japan. Could you talk about how much money Oregon will be bringing in once they get to the Big Ten? I've heard numerous 
uh, amounts being thrown, 30 to 45 million. However, Oregon's president came out and stated that Oregon would be getting close to 50 million per year go Ducks. So the base number that I saw reported in the Sports Business Journal and I think Yahoo and a couple other spots is that it'll be $30 million to start, but then it's a $1 million escalator clause each year through this current contract's run to 2030, which means it'll be $36 million by the end of it. And then it'll be at least, or in the ballpark of doubling that when they renegotiate the contract and then Oregon and Washington both become full media rights uh, earning members there. But good question, uh, an interesting one. And biggest takeaway there for the Ducks, we're, we're not going to be struggling financially. I didn't think we were going to in a big way if we'd stayed in the pack and that deal, which you know would have started in like the 23 to $25 million range and then had escalator clauses from there. Oregon, I, I, I don't worry about them financially, being able to keep coaches around, paying coaches, assistance, all that sort of stuff. Like they're, they're, they're fine. So let's get to, uh, actually let's answer this question first. Then we'll, then we'll get to, uh, the quarterbacks. Jason asks, hello again from uh, hot as hell, Taiwan. Look at this. Locked on ducks is internationally consumed. Japan, Taiwan, I know I have a couple listeners or viewers up in Canada. We got people in New York. That's not international, but it's a long ways away. Goodness gracious, love the reach of this show. That's fantastic. Jason, hello again from hot as hell Taiwan. I enjoyed your outstanding analyses on the offense and defense. Thank you. I have a question. Unfortunately, not a Star Wars one though, but there may be more to come. If Cal bombs this year, Just as a quick side note, I don't think they're going to. But if Cal bombs this year and Wilcox gets the boot, what are the chances the Golden Bears swoop in and snatch Tosh Lupoy as their new head coach? He has some ties in his past to the staff at Cal. The answer here is close to zero. There has not been a coaching search that has come about in which Tosh Lupoy, who is a fantastic recruiter, has been seriously mentioned as a head coaching candidate. I've never seen anything to indicate he has the desire to be a head coach, that other schools have talked about him as being a head coach. And frankly, he still has to demonstrate that he can develop and coordinate as now the co-defensive coordinator with Chris Hampton this year, as he was a year ago with Matt Palage, who moved on to Baylor. He has to put together a dominant unit on that side of the ball as a defensive coordinator. And in his career, he hasn't done that. I think he's just a guy who can be a good coordinator is probably like at his absolute peak. Like if Tosh Lupoy were your defensive line coach and you had someone who you felt was better in the schematic sense with X's and O's, that's the formula for like a really, really high level defense because Lupoy has struggled as we saw last year with defensive play calling at times. He had those responsibilities stripped from him in Alabama by Nick Saban. And last year, you know, it looked, we can't know for sure, and Lanning would never tell us, but in the Utah game, it looked like there was a more heavy-handed approach after what happened the prior week against Washington. So I think there's plenty of pressure on, on him as Oregon's defensive coordinator this year, but I, I do not see a world in which he gets snatched up as a head coaching candidate. I, w- I thought you were going to ask about the reverse. If Wilcox gets the boot, does Oregon go try and hire Wilcox as our defensive coordinator? I would listen to a conversation about that, depending on how this year goes. If Oregon has a top 30 defense this year, don't need anything. We're good. Totally fine. 
But if it's the same story as last year, too many passing yards, good against the run, but can't get off the field on third down and can't get pressure on the quarterback, then you can ask questions. But we have to see how this year plays out uh, first and foremost. But the short answer to your question, no, he is not uh, a head coaching target. You know, the offensive coordinator is the spot where where Oregon is going to have to do the most replacing. I, I think Tosh Lupoy's job is, you know, secure as long as Dan Lanning likes him in uh, that particular role. So we got to talk about the quarterbacks, though, because Bo Nix is going to be Oregon's starting quarterback. A revolutionary concept, I know. An even better concept is going over to check out FanDuel because you can get ready for the NFL season or college football with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet just $5, that's it, and get 200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. How about that? Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. You can bet Oregon win total this year. You can bet their point spreads against several in several games for this upcoming season. Everything that you need is over on FanDuel, so go check it out. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can get everything that you want. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL and college football season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Okie dokie. So let's talk about the quarterbacks. Bo Nix is going to start for the Ducks. We all want him to. He's going to. He should. No questions there. The question is what happens if Bo Nix has to go out for a few plays? What happens if Bo Nix gets injured and we want to hold him out for the Hawaii game? What happens if Bo Nix gets injured and we have to put someone in during a conference game or the Texas Tech game, right? A game that won't be easy to win. My guess is it's Ty Thompson. He's been the backup the last couple of years. He's got more arm talent and experience and a prior relationship with the entire coaching staff than Austin Novus had. He has all of those things. Physically ready, he's seen live game action, and the coaches know him a lot better than they do Novus who was here for the spring game and has been here all throughout fall camp, will be on the roster going forward, could be Oregon's quarterback of the future. We don't know for sure. But I think this will be a Ty Thompson backup, Austin Novosad third string. I don't know how set Ty Thompson is in that backup role, though. Because for all the reasons that everybody knows, we are waiting for Ty Thompson to become the best version of himself, and we just haven't seen it yet. And we all know why. He's not able to command the offense well. He can't make easy throws all the time, and he's inconsistent, and he looks uncomfortable in the pocket. But guess what? If he improves in those areas, there, there is a high probability. Probability, Like, frankly, I, I'll be pretty upset and disappointed if we don't see Ty Thompson on Saturday. We will. But if he comes out and looks like a better version of himself, even if it's against Portland State, well, hopefully we'll see him again against Hawaii. Hopefully we'll see him against Colorado and or Stanford. And if he looks like a better version of himself then there's a path to him starting in 2024. But that'll be his fourth season of college football, which is crazy. But that's just where we're at. He has not improved enough, even though he has the size, the body type, and the arm to be the best quarterback in the Pac-12. He does. 
those are the traits that he has. It's the intangibles and that little bit of real estate between the ears that he doesn't have right now. Doesn't mean he can't get there, but he hasn't shown that yet. But because of everything I discussed, I expect him to be the backup. Novus had to be the third string. But if you told me right now that Ty Thompson makes the same sorts of mistakes against Portland State, and then when we have a blowout against Hawaii, Novasad is first guy off the bench, I wouldn't call you crazy. And it's an interesting situation to monitor because it'll directly impact, at least in our purview, but certainly for the coaches as well, who's going to be able to start at quarterback in 2024. Which, crazy it is, as it sounds, that's something you have to always think about as a coaching staff and as a fan. So I think Ty's the backup. Novasad's your third string. Hopefully, Ty doesn't have to get into the game in a big spot. We saw what happened when that took place last year. We had to run the ball four times in a row, yada, 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 lost to Washington. So hopefully he improves. I would love for him to become the best version of himself that we've seen to date. But thus far, he's had a long time to do it. And the spring game showed a lot of growth in the second half. But the first half, it was a lot of the same issues. And so we'll see what happens on Saturday. All right, last question here. This is a fun one from Balin. Uh, and every day are out here. Another mailback question. Riffing off the fun one at the end of today's pod. This is from a past episode, of course. If you had to compare each major position group to a barbecue dish, mm, what would those dishes be? Okay. I'm game. Um, we'll just rattle them off here. Quarterback, ribs, because it's the biggest and most important and the most well-known. Uh, running backs would be pulled pork, can be the star, but doesn't have to be for a meal to be great. Wide receivers are mac and cheese. Catches your eye, great, important, but not the main course. Can't have great wide receivers if you don't have a great quarterback. That's the key to uh, the important, or that's the key to having a great barbecue meal. Tight ends are baked beans. They fly under the radar, but they're also not wildly essential, but can also have moments where you're like, wow, that's really, really good. Uh, offensive line is brisket, because it's all about the beef, baby. Uh, defensive line is the half chicken, big, meaty, hearty, simple. It is simple on the defensive line. Win the battle, get to the quarterback. Enough said. Half chicken, again, pretty simple. Season it up, and just throw it in there, rip it apart, you're good to go. It's more complicated than that, but I simplified it for purposes of the podcast. Uh, linebackers are coleslaw. You would like it to be good to complement the meal. But in today's world of college football, you can have a great meal without great linebackers or without great coleslaw, and you can have a great defense without great linebackers. You want to have good ones. It helps. It can enhance it, but it's not a foundational component of it because it's all about passing the ball nowadays. Uh, cornerbacks are cornbread, actually. You need them even more than you think. Sometimes you need a break from all the meat and you want like something kind of carby to go down. Cornerbread, cornbread can be really essential or, essential, or corner bread if you prefer. Gosh, I'm terrible. Uh, last one. Safeties are pie or whatever dessert you're putting with a barbecue meal. A lot of different options. I don't think there's one standard one. I would lean towards apple pie, but I think there are a lot of different ways you could go. Safeties are like the pie and dessert because they're not consumed with every single barbecue meal. But when it does happen, it sure is sweet. You don't see a safety on every play. Sometimes they they never show up for the for the over the course of an entire game. But then when they do show up and they make a big play, it sure can be sweet. 
Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.